tactical racing tips. We talk a lot about pacing plans and how to negative split races. And in the past couple of months, we've been really talking about half marathons and marathons specifically. But now we want to get into the nitty gritty details about how to race against yourself during a competition, especially in a shorter distance events. Uh, The turkey trots are coming up with Thanksgiving right around the corner in the US. And it's very, very popular to do a 5k or 10k uh, distance event on Thanksgiving, which is coming up next week. Um, And we're just going to kind of go over some tactical racing tips if you are going out there and trying to run a fast time at a turkey trot coming up. And these are also tips that you can use, you know, in the future when racing a shorter distance race also. And so I thought today it would be great to bring on coach Jason because he is the head cross country and track coach at the college level at UW River Falls. Um, and he has a lot of experience coaching athletes in those shorter distance races, as well as the marathon and half marathon. But specifically, we're going to be talking about the shorter distance races. Um, so Jason, tell us a little bit about your coaching background and and uh, what sort of coaching season you just wrapped up and what distance uh, events that you have been coaching for at the university. Yeah, so as Victoria said, I've coached many high school athletes and now collegiate athletes in both cross country and track and field. Um, This recent season we just wrapped up was our college men's and women's cross country um, where the men run traditionally an 8K race, which is about five miles, and the women run 6K, which is about 3.72. So you know, every time we go to a meet, it's always the same distance. It's just on a different course. And most courses are ran usually on grass, um, a little bit of dirt, but it's it's most typically ran on golf courses or, you know, city parks and that sort of thing. So a lot of elevation change and terrain. Um, we even ran in some snow this year. So it's been kind of a, a yucky year in terms of weather. Great. Yeah. And just for a little bit more background for those people who are listening, they aren't really sure. So a lot of them are run on the cross country course. So it's grass um, and you're at the D3 level. So that means that these are the smaller schools. So typically like the times are a little bit slower than it would be, you know, at the D1 schools and D1 schools would be like University of Minnesota, Purdue, you know, like those really big name schools that we're all used to hearing. Um, But D3 is like the smaller schools. Uh, What sort of times are people running? you know you said the men run an 8k which is about a five mile race and the women are running um the 6k which is 3.7 ish miles so what sort of paces um is your team or you know teams in your conference running for these sort of races at the d3 level just out of curiosity yeah usually for the guys if you can run around the 25 minute range you're going to be up towards the front of the pack at the conference meet so that would be about five minute paces 25 flat um, if you're running about 5.10 to 5.15, you're running around 26 minutes. Um, and again, that's a still really a competitive time. Um, one of our top guys this year was was closer to around 28 minutes. So um, we're in a rebuilding year. But on the women's side, I would say you know a good solid time to get you up towards the front would be around 23 minutes, um, which is probably closer to about 6.25 pace. And then you know if you're running 24 to 25, you're right in the middle of the pack. That's, a, that's where a lot of our girls have been this year. Um, so yeah, those, those are about the times. And then, you know, when we think about the training that, that goes into this, we're doing basically the majority of our miles on the road. Um, just like, you know, distance runners who are training for, um, road racing, we do get on the grass from time to time for our intervals and we'll do fart licks and stuff as well. So. Yeah, it's great to hear a little bit more background. So it sounds like some really fast times going on on these races. And I'm sure, like you said before, um, all the courses are a little different. So, you know, you're dealing with different course elevations and, you know, course profiles. And obviously those are going to affect the times that come in, you know. So it's not necessarily that like every race, you know, the athletes are getting faster. It's more about looking at um, maybe you look at like the top athletes and say, okay, what sort of times did they run today? Or how do you gauge like whether or not your team or like your athletes ran well in comparison to like, you know, the course that you're on? Um, can you usually just tell, do you talk with other coaches or can you just tell based on like what the winning times are? How do you tell if a course is going to be, you know, slower or faster times? Yeah. I mean, that's a really great question. There's so many factors that go into it starting with weather and wind, um, time of year too, looking at the temperature, um, you know, placement of the race in, in comparison to your season. So if you're running on a hard course, maybe in October, um, your time might be equivalent to a time you ran on a flatter course back in September. And so just using things like that to gauge it, also looking at other runners from other schools. Um, you know, we get to know our conference pretty well because we're in the WIAC, which is all the Wisconsin schools 
um, like Platteville and Stevens Point, Lacrosse and Eau Claire. So maybe starting to identify runners from other teams who you're normally around in races and then trying to, you know, finish ahead of them. Um, and if you're our fifth runner, for example, and, and we're trying to beat Platteville, then you're, you need to know where Platteville's fifth runner is. And so it's just kind of looking ahead in the race and counting the number of orange jerseys that you see. So those are some of the ways that you can gauge if your race is going well and you're setting yourself up to be competitive. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think, you know, a lot of people listening, they're preparing for turkey trots or races coming up in the future. And it's good to know that, you know, the conditions do play a factor. Like you mentioned, the winds and how how much elevation there is and really just seeing the time variations that are there you know it could be a whole minute which in a five mile race you know that's about 15 seconds per mile slowing you down um so even though you're in the same fitness it really just depends on the course conditions and you know the weather that day and sometimes these more uncontrollable factors um, really do come into play when even you're doing the shorter distance races. Um, And especially, you know, for people listening, turkey trots coming up, if you're living in the Midwest or like the North, the temperatures are really, really starting to drop here. And I know that um, the college team that you just coached for regionals and for conference, they dealt with some pretty cold temperatures at some of the meets. Um, At what point in temperature do you notice that there is a decline in fitness? Because I think for people listening, you know, they're under the impression that maybe cooler temperatures are beneficial. uh, But I think you reach a certain temperature and then you start seeing the negative impacts on your performance. Um, What point is that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I would say usually it's under 30 degrees, and that could depend on the wind wind chill as well and if it's sunny outside. So, um, yeah, I mean, we just most recently ran in about mid-30s, 36, and I think the athletes were all plenty warm. You know, if you dress for it and you wear gloves or arm warmers, you, you should be fine in those temps, especially if you're used to training out in, in the cold. Like we've had – we just had a cold front come through a week and a half ago where it got down to the teens. So I think that 35 actually felt pretty good. But anything in the 20s or teens, you know, you're definitely going to start to notice a dip in um, maybe the times and, and your your energy level and, and your, your body's just not able to be as efficient running in those cold temps. You know, your muscles, it's kind of like running in 65 to 70 degree heat. Um, your body's not going to be working as efficiently as it would in 40 degrees. Right. And I love how you were saying that, you know, as soon as it hits the 20s um, for temperatures, that's when you start seeing that decline in fitness. And I know... You know, looking at the weather forecast for the upcoming weeks, uh, these are things that could definitely be impacting these shorter distance races for people who are in the Midwest area. And so I think just knowing and going into these races, knowing that it could affect you um, if the temperatures are, you know, below 30, it's going to have that um, negative impact. And then just kind of speaking to, I know you have a lot of experience doing turkey trots and races in the cold. Um, for those of you listening, we have done a turkey trot, I believe it was five years ago, and it was negative. Um, just the air temperature was like negative two, but I think the wind chill was like negative 20. Um, and we were signed up for a 5k. My brother, unfortunately, was signed up for the 10k. And uh, we we all went and we decided to run it. But um, I can tell you from that experience, uh, racing in those conditions, it's like the first mile you, you feel like uh, it could be okay. It could be an okay day. You're trying to, you know, get warmed up. But then something physiologically just kind of happened to me where, man, like the body almost started shutting down. It's almost like the opposite of running in the heat. Um, Similar things that would happen if it was really hot out started happening, even though it was cold, Um, kind of in like a reverse way, like where you started like, you know, getting really cold and it was hard to breathe. I I can't really explain it, but it really, really um, impacted my times. Uh, And so Jason, what can you speak about your experience? Do you remember that 5k race? I know for me um, going into that race six weeks Prior, I had ran like an 1857 5K, and then at this 5K, it was a short course, but I was more on pace for about a, a 1958 um, had the course been accurate. So about a minute per mile slower. Um, what about you? I don't recall my time, but I just know, you know, a lot of times those races are going to be out and backs. Um, and when you start the race, you're, 
you know, it does feel good, like Victoria said early on, because you're you're trying to warm up because you've been standing around waiting. So first mile might go okay, and then once you start hitting the wind, um, like she said, your body just kind of it kind of tenses up, and so you start running with like all this extra like weight, and you're not relaxed because you're you're cold, but you're trying to stay warm as well. And um, I think it's there are some benefits to training and racing in those conditions. Obviously, mental toughness is one, but you really got to throw all time goals out the window and just, just try to mentally stay present in the race, keep your thoughts positive, um, finish strong. And then after you can analyze your race by looking at your pace and your splits and the, you know, like maybe second mile is uphill or something like that. So just identifying the course and, and how you ran considering those tough conditions. Right. Definitely. And this is for, um, I don't think people will be that unlucky this year. You know, if you have a turkey trot and it's 20 degrees, consider yourself lucky. You know, if you're in the, the Midwest area, cause it, it can be pretty cold on those days, but just knowing that, like you said, kind of throwing time goals out the window and going more on that effort-based approach and knowing that when you're at that start line, uh, you're going to be tempted to really go fast in the beginning to keep your body warm because you're you're cold. Um, so just dressing in layers, dressing appropriately, maybe having some throwaways because usually they will donate those clothes um, that you throw off to the side of the course. You can always go back to the start, pick those clothes up also. Um, whatever works best for you, but just knowing that the inclination is going to be to go out a little faster. So kind of reeling it in if you can so that the last couple miles aren't as painful. Um, but I think going back to the whole cross country, I know we were chatting a little bit about how, um, you know, how to tell if the times are slow or if it's going to be a tough day out there. Um, I always find it very interesting to figure out how the cross country meets are scored. And I've been a runner for about a decade now. Um, I did run cross country in college, like my junior or senior year, and I still didn't really understand how cross country meets are scored. Um, you know, for us road runners listening, I would have been under the assumption that it's time-based, you know, whoever runs the fastest times wins the race. Um, and that's absolutely not the case. So I would love to hear you just explain how, cross-country meets are scored and maybe why they're scored in this way yeah certainly so cross-country um you know typically you, you can qualify for the next round whether it's a national meet or a world team or whatever as an individual but also as a team and so it is a team sport in fact um they add up the, the points and it's basically all calculated based on low score so low score wins just like golf so if you, if you win the race that's one point overall for your team um if you come in fifth that's five points so basically um, they're going to score each team's first five runners. So, you know, the, the score could be, d- depending on the meet, it could be a small score. A perfect score would be 15, I believe. Is that five plus four plus three plus two plus one? But so, how are they scoring? Um, like, how do they come up with the scores? Is it based on how they place in yes, their race? It's all, it's all placed based. So, again, if you place 10th, that'll be 10 points for your team. And then you're going to place um, each team's top five runners. So... You know, if I'm our if I'm our team's fifth runner and I'm fiftieth place, okay, well that'll be the highest score for our team. And then our fourth place guy, let's say he was in forty second, our third place maybe in thirtieth. So they'll add up all those scores, and then the lowest score wins for each team. So that's kind of how they calculate it. Yeah. So I guess the biggest thing there is knowing that just because you have like the fastest runner, you know, they might score you that that number one, which is going to be the most optimal point. But then if all the rest of your runners are like 60th place, 80th place, 100th place, um, you're not going to have as high of a score as a team that maybe has a 10th place, a 13th place, 14th place. So it's just more about like how consistently is your team kind of up in that top um, top range. So you don't necessarily have to even be like top, top three runners could not even be on your team, but you could still win the meet. Um, so it just really depends on like the dynamic of the team, which I think is really cool. Um, and then another thing that's even better about that is knowing that when you're out there, it's not so much about times. It's more about competing against the people who are out there. So each person that you beat in the race, that's not on your team, um, you're putting yourself, you're like gaining your team a point. And so like, that's how you win is like 
by beating people, which is kind of interesting because I think a lot of us roadrunners are more into times and time-based stuff. But when you have some of these races like turkey trots that are in adverse conditions, I think that can be really cool to like shift the focus away from that time clock of, oh, I really want to break, you know, 20 minutes or 25 minutes in the 5k um, to, you know, I want to compete with the people who are out there because that's what they're doing, you know, at the college level and even, you know, how elite runners are running. They want to compete with the people out there. They're not as concerned of the time clock. Um, and so what are some of the things that you do as like a cross country coach to help people like shift their mindset? I'm sure their mindset isn't really on clocks yet because I think that's more like a road running thing, but how do you kind of shift the focus from the time clock and pacing to more like being present in the race? What are some tactical things you do? Yeah. Um, I, I would say one thing that helps runners is definitely giving them, um, reminders as you see them on the course, like maybe what place they're in, or, um, let's say you're trying to beat a certain team who's like your rival and you point out like, that's this team's fourth runner right there in front of you. And you're our fourth runner. So you need to get up there and pass them. So I think those sorts of things help a a ton. I've seen, I've just seen it tremendously this weekend with runners who just surge to catch up or they, they just keep their sights set on them. And the goal is to, to close that gap by the time they get to the finish line. Um, but like Victoria said, every person counts, um, in terms of lowering your score. And so I think that, um, trying to focus on how many people you can pass in that last mile is so important. And then getting back to the scoring, um, you know, the, it, it, it might depend on the size of the meet too, because your team may be lacking that three, four, five guy. And so when you go to a small meet, it may not affect you as much. You may be able to, may be able to beat the other teams, but when you go to a larger meet, um, a team that has a stronger three, four or five guy, they're going to probably end up beating you as a team just because there's going to be so many more people in between. Um, your middle of the pack versus theirs. So, um, and then if there happens to be a tiebreaker, which does happen every now and then, they just look at um, your your number one versus their number one, and then two versus two, all the way up to five, and they do a best of five. So whoever beat who, that's that's who's going to break the tiebreaker. And that has happened before, even for like to determine a first place team or a national champion. Yeah, that's great to just go into the details there and being competitive with the people around you, I think is really important. And I know as I got more into the sport, there were some phrases that I would hear that I wouldn't necessarily understand or relate to at all because I was never the fastest runner. I was always, you know, like just middle of the pack. And in college, I was, you know, back of the pack there. And so I heard the phrase once, you know, a couple years into my running career, called running to win. And I just thought, well, totally unrelatable. I'm never going to win a race. Um, I didn't understand what that really meant, you know, because there's only ever one winner in a race. So why would that be? It was actually the name of an app um, where people will track their, their running stuff. It's called running the number two win. Um, and so I just never understood what that meant. But then later hearing how these cross country means are scored and then understanding the sport a little bit more, I'm able to have like a little bit of a different perspective on it. So running to win doesn't mean like you're winning the race by any means, but r- running to win means you're being competitive with the people in the race and you're racing against the competition instead of, you know, yourself. And so I think when we see run for PRs, we're always talking about, oh, being yourself, being your own race clock. But really, when you're in that racing environment, it actually is an advantage to you because you have people around you that you can pace off of, push yourself against. And they're these other people, it's not like you're trying to like beat them, you know, it's nothing like that, but it's just like they're using you and you're using them. And it's helping you to bring out the best in yourself. It's helping them to bring out the best in their self. And so it's it's a friendly competition. It's like how hard can we push ourselves in this race, in this moment, together doing this thing um, and let the best man win, right? So, I mean, it's a great, it's a friendly competition thing and it definitely helps. And I think the phrase running to win, you know, if you've ever heard of, you know, we're creating, you know, winners or whatever, it's it's more just we're creating people who in the moment, you know, when faced with a com- competitor who can really just dig deep, push themselves. And that's what I think the phrase means. What do you think, Jason? I mean, I don't think I could explain it any better. Uh, you pretty much nailed it. Basically, just emptying the tank and leaving it all out there. And um, like Victoria said, being competitive with, with the other people and, and using each other. I know some, in college, a lot of times they set up meets that are specifically for the, the most elite runners because they want to get together and, and, 
and just run fast times so they can get like their national qualifying time. So Stanford, I know out on the West Coast, they do a big 10K um, during outdoor track season. I know a lot of times college cross country teams will go to a certain meet so that they can run fast to gain confidence. Um, but a lot of times they'll go to hard courses too, just to get that experience of, of racing and um, having to go through all those, those mental battles um, on the tough course. Yeah, I think this is great to get into and just hearing how, you know, meets will sometimes be set up certain ways just so that you can have these fast people competing against each other so that they can get, you know, the best competition for them at that time. And it's not like they're like rivals. It's it's nothing, you know, like NFL football. It's not like, oh, like I want this team to win. It's just you're out there because you're both in this fitness where you can both push each other and you want to win because you want to get the most out of yourself. And so running with that other person allows you to get the most out of yourself. And so it's just more of like a friendly competition. And I can't tell you how many times I've crossed the finish line of, you know, 5K, 10K mile where the person right in front of me or right behind me, is just like, they turn around and they're, they like give you a hug after the race. Cause they're like, that was epic. Like, thanks for pushing me. And that's really what that's about is, you know, at the finish, you're supposed to like, high five you're supposed to you know be like good job to that person that you were pushing yourself with you know in the race and you know I ran uh, 5k in August where I I wanted to be competitive in it and there was someone that I ran almost the entire race next to um he inevitably beat me but like he I was literally just right behind him the whole time and having him there helped so much with like pacing and just like staying mentally in it um, and just like at the finish line, I had to thank him. And that's just something that people do when they finish races. And I think that's a runner's etiquette thing is just like letting that person know like, Hey, like, thank you. You know, like you helped me out there, even if they don't know that they were helping you, like he didn't even know that I was behind him, but it's just like letting them know, um, that like their presence out there helped you because maybe they had a rough day, you know, like maybe it wasn't their a game day, but knowing that they helped someone else, that's kind of how running is a community sport. Um, and I know that if someone were to tell me, you know, Hey, you really helped me out there. That would make me feel better. You know, just knowing that you're out there, everyone's competing with each other. Um, so is that something that you see kind of in the front of the pack also? I know, you know, Jason is a 15 something five k -er. Um, is that something that you see often? Like when you cross the finish line, is there like a lot of like back padding going on? Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of respect um, for the other runners and, and just knowing that everyone kind of went through that same <laughs> suffer fest or same, um, you know, tough, tough race. But I've seen it where, you know, even in, starting around college, I just think there's a little bit more sportsmanship um, towards the other athletes who are similar to your ability level and just showing that that respect. And I've even seen runners warm up and cool down together after and talk about the race. So um and definitely now in, in the adult world with road races, I think it's it's totally natural to just um, have those conversations afterwards and show that level of respect um, and camaraderie towards your other fellow runners. Yeah, this is a great, you know, runner's etiquette 101, I think, to share with people. Um, I think that if the sport had more of this, it would be awesome. But I think the sport definitely already has a lot of it. So just kind of knowing that, you know, if someone after a race, like, thanks you, just just knowing that that's, that's awesome and that's those are the moments that you're kind of out there for. Uh, so I guess going more into the specifics of pacing, you know, we're talking about running to win, like being competitive within the race. Um, but of course, I mean, you want to have a pacing plan going into these things, you know, you never want to line up at the start line of a 5k, a 10k and think, I'm just going to run with my competition. You know, I'm just going to be president in the race. So we, you want to have like this fine line between having a pacing plan, but being flexible. It's kind of like having a flexible budget, you know, <laughs> having uh, some room in there to move things around when necessary, but you want to have a plan. So you got a plan for what you're going to be doing out there. Um, and creating a pacing plan for 5K, you know, is a unique experience in and of itself. Um, we kind of went into detail on how to know what sort of fitness you're in back in July when we did a podcast like this. But I guess, you know, since we brought this up, we probably should touch on how to know what type of shape you're in for 5K, 10K. Uh, so Jason, like, how would you tell someone how to know what type of time they're going to run or pacing plan they should have based on maybe 
a recent marathon or half marathon they did or just based on like how some workouts are going like what are some key ways to know how fast someone could potentially run a 5k in yeah i'm gonna definitely take a look at their most recent training specifically like the last month and look at workouts interval paces um look at look for patterns like are they progressing as the workout goes are they finishing with a faster split than their first uh rep repetition um probably looking at anywhere between like their 800s to 1200s to 1k um, to one mile repeats. So really looking at those and just trying to devise a plan for that first mile and give them maybe like a 10 second cushion or window just so that, you know, obviously that they have some room to either, you know, like she said, be flexible as the race goes on. Um, and I think that it's typical to make it about halfway through your race and then you can maybe devise a new plan or pick it up or slow down depending on how, how the first half has gone. Yeah, that's a great thing to talk about is analyzing those workouts, you know, beforehand. And I know everyone does different workouts, so it's hard to really say, oh, you know, look at this workout and that workout. But one thing when you were talking that kind of comes to mind, um, for me at least, is, you know, a lot of people will do similar types of workouts. So if you've done mile repeats lately, you know, three or more of them, and if you've done um, 800 meter or half mile repeats, uh, maybe like five to eight of them, or more, what I would do is like figure out what paces you were hitting for that mile, those mile repeat sessions, then figure out what sort of paces you were hitting for the 800s. And I'd say like a safe bet to start your race, if you're doing a 5k, 10k, is going to be like right in between those paces, um, you know, for that first half mile in there, because you want to start a little slower, you could probably get away with going closer to your 800 meter repeat pace, just depending on like, how much rest you had in these workouts and stuff. But I think that pace between your one mile repeats and your 800 meter repeats is usually where you're going to be for 5k, 10k. Um, just really depends on how hard you were going on those workouts though. You know, as a coach, we like to prescribe mile repeats, usually more around threshold pace, um, which would be a lot slower than your 5k pace. And we usually prescribe 800 meter repeats around, you know, 5k, 10k pace. So it just depends going into the race, but look at those interval workouts that are a little bit longer intervals and that'll give you a good idea. What you don't want to do is take, you know, let's say you did eight by like 60 seconds or like eight by 30 seconds. Um, we're not going to run at that pace. Probably that's more of like a mile mile pace. We don't want to go out too hard. So the biggest thing is just maybe figuring out where your threshold pace is, planning on starting the first 800 meters at that pace, or you know maybe a little bit faster. But the key thing here, we don't want to hit the anaerobic wall the first 800 meters, the first mile of the race, because the most painful thing you can do in a 5K is just hammer that first mile, because it's going to be real painful the back half of the race. Trust me when I tell you, you would be better off going out at your threshold pace for the first mile and then hammering it at the end, um, you're going to get more out of yourself that way. I don't necessarily think that's the best way to race a 5K. Um, I think, you know, you kind of have to go a little faster than threshold, that first 800 meters, if you're really out there racing, trying to get a fast time. Um, but in that case scenario, you should probably be, you know, working with a coach or know your own pacing if you're kind of at that level then. Um, so I guess, and then just knowing... So we talked about figuring out what sort of pace you could run for the race, but we also have talked about being competitive within the race. So at what point during the race should someone just kind of throw out their pacing plan and go more off the competition? Or at what point in the race does it like turn into like the real race versus just making sure you don't screw up your, your pacing plan? Yeah, I think this will depend on your experience as a runner and how often you're used to racing. Um, you know, I've done it before, usually a third into my race, I might change my, my plan. But I would say if you make it about halfway through, that's a good time frame. Um, so, you know, mile and a half, you're halfway there in your 5K. If you're racing a 10K, you definitely want to make it through the first 5K before you alter your approach. Um, so I think that, that that sets you up for success. And you know what? If you take a little risk and it doesn't pay off, well, then that's something you learn, learn from and you can apply that to future races. But I definitely won't alter your plan too much in the first half of any race distance. No, definitely not. I think the biggest thing is if you are going to alter your race plans, um, just based on the competition and the people around you, it's better to hair on the slower side, you know, like let's say people are running a little bit slower, you know, maybe that's a sign you should be running a little bit slower um, so that you can be competitive with the people around you. Because the last thing you want to do is like pass everyone in your eyesight um, the first 
you know, mile and a half of a 5K and then you're running alone. You, you don't want to do that. You'd be better off being right tucked in behind someone until, you know, mile two, two and a half, if they're going an appropriate pace for you. So let's say you hope to run an eight minute pace for the 5K. Um, you go out at eight minute pace and then you're stuck in this pack and they're going like 805. We're going to stick with that 805 pace. We're not going to, you know, pass them and run by ourselves. You know, it's not worth it. It would be better for you to tuck in for a mile and mentally just like let them do the work. Um, and then once you're ready to go, it's go time, you know, at, at whatever point you're ready to, okay, I can hammer this last mile in like a 750 because it's going to make, the time's going to make up for itself. Um, you don't want to expend too much energy in those middle miles by like passing people and, you know, weaving in and out. Um, it's better to tuck in. It's better to let someone else do the mental work. Um, and you just kind of draft off of whatever they're doing. If, the pace is appropriate. But honestly, though, if you're used to someone, if you're someone who's used to just going really, really hard um, at the beginning of the race, it's going to feel like those people are going really slow and it's really hard to not pass them when you have like a little bit of extra energy, but just like it's better to save it for the finish than to go out hard and then not have it left. Because the last thing you want to happen is to pass a group of people running 805 pace when you're hoping to run eight minute pace at mile one and then boom they pass you at mile 2.2 and they're gone you're suffering alone and realizing oh shoot they're passing me they're running my goal time right now and I can't I have nothing left because I used it up at mile two you know so you really want to be strategic about when you use your energy reserves um is it worth it to pass someone at mile one versus hanging on with them for a couple miles these are all like questions to think about when you're in the race and I think just really being aware of your surroundings and How can you utilize each person within the race to your advantage and even like helping them out? So, you know, maybe they're in a tough spot and you can come up right next to them and run with them and that would help them. And I've had great races where it's like, you know, I probably shouldn't be passing this person. They're they're going pretty fast. So you just kind of run right next to them. And I ran my last 10 mile race. I ran literally side by side someone for the last seven miles of the race. And it was amazing because it's like, we were running the same pace uphill. He would go up a little bit downhill. Like I would pass him a little bit and we were just kind of working off of each other. And it was so nice to have like someone your pace running with you um, the whole race. So I think that's definitely something that people could start utilizing. If you haven't done so yet, finding someone within a race who's running about the same pace as you and allow yourself to work with them. So instead of aggressively passing them or just blowing by them, like say, you know, maybe this person is going like the right pace for me and seeing if you can use them. Um, so how do you advise your athletes, Jason, in a cross country race? Do they, uh, run next to each other, even though, you know, some of the athletes on the team might be in a little bit different fitness level. Do you tell them to race next to each other or do you have them race alone? What do you usually find yields the best results? Cause I know you guys just finished regions and two of your runners finished literally side by side. So I just find it really interesting that two different fitness levels can kind of come together like that. I mean, they're similar in fitness, but they're not, you know, exactly the same. Do you think that they ran faster because they ran together or what's the philosophy there? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that particular race, I actually told one of the guys to go out faster. And so I didn't tell them to run together. They ended up finishing together. So that was kind of on them, but typically we do encourage, you know, runners of similar to similar abilities to start together at least, and just kind of work together. Cause it's, it's nice to have your teammates side by side. And then when someone starts to fatigue, you can, you can start to give that encouragement and those positive words of affirmation to just come with, come with me for a little bit longer or, um, you know, just, just working together as a team and, and trying to pick runners off as the race goes on and, and pass runners from other teams. And so typically you'll gauge that based on workouts and previous races, like who's around who. And some people maybe strive if they go out a little slower and they'll be able to finish harder. And some people need to be held back or start faster. So you may pair two people together just to help kind of complement each other's strengths and, and learn from that experience. Because the first few races, it's all about gaining the experience so that they can show up and run the fastest time possible at the end of the season. So it, again, will depend on the time frame and, and what the course is like. Yeah, that's a great answer. So just allowing people to have a couple races to get experience under their belt before really going into some of these tactical ch- 
tips and tricks. Uh, but I think these tricks are really great just to know and shift the focus off the garment. Because I think in today's day and age, especially, you know, with Strava and all of the gadgets that we have, garments, GPS watches and everything, there's such an emphasis on paces and hitting your paces. And we can be so obsessed with our watch. You know, it, it, miles can tick off and you be five seconds off. And all of a sudden, mentally, you're in this negative headspace when in reality, you could just be ignoring that watch um, and being present in the moment. And I think there's so many things to be said about racing and getting feedback from your body versus a piece of technology on your wrist. Um, so I guess I'm just curious your stance on Garmin GPSs and, you know, do you think that they positively, negatively in- impact performances? Well, I mean... For, for college athletes, we can't race with them, so it's not even a problem for us. So luckily, <laughs> we just go off of feel, and there are some occasional clocks on the course so you can gauge your pace. Um, but typically, I'll be at the mile marker just letting people know how they're doing. I'll yell at the time, and they, they, they'll adjust based on the plan that we talked about going into the race. So for them, we don't really worry about the garments, but they do tend to look at it in training, and um, they will you know, allow that to influence the fitness that they believe that they're in. Um, I think for most of us who are training for road races, yeah, I think like Victoria said, we just, we kind of want to use it the same way, like use it as a gauger for that first mile to make sure that you're in your kind of comfort zone. Um, but really we should be just going off a of feel and effort-based racing, um, you know, use the other people out there to, uh, help you be, you know, be competitive, be as competitive as possible to try to get the, the most out of yourself on race day. Yes, I think the focus of what you're thinking mentally when you're racing is so important. And when you're constantly looking at your watch, it's it's a distraction from your environment and from your body. So when you're running, your body's constantly giving you like feedback signals. Um, and when we're so focused on like a pacing plan and like race a race goal, uh, we can really just start to ignore the signs, signals from our body um, and just focus way too much on the Garmin. So when I race, something that I recommend people do is turn off lap pace. I mean, why? you don't need to know that. Um, don't You don't need feedback like that. You know, your body is giving you feedback. You have a watch on your wrist. Shall you choose to push lap when you see the mile marker? That's that's great, but I think just being more present into your racing environment and like we were talking about earlier, finding people to run with and using the people around you to be able to run that fast time and like constantly checking in with yourself and saying, is this pace right? Does this feel sustainable? Is a lot better than looking at your watch and let's say you really wanted to run that eight minute pace and seeing that you're like, at an 805. And I think a lot of people, if they see that they're a little bit slower than their plan or what they hoped to run, it can send you into like this negative down spiral because you're staring at something that's telling you, oh, you're a little bit off pace. And I remember like in college when you'd come through at the mile and they'd yell like what your split was. It was never a good time for me. Like I was always like, well, I don't want to know that. I felt great until you told me what, what sort of time I was running because you can interpret these things. Um, and I think that's where we kind of run into trouble uh, with, you know, going down that mental downward spiral. And I think people who have a lot of that race anxiety, I think they kind of struggle with this a little bit. Uh, Some people don't struggle with this at all and, you know, it doesn't affect them. But I think if you're someone who, you know, struggles with negative thoughts while racing or, you know, race anxiety, I think just turning that watch like away from you, you know, flipping it on the inside of your wrist, turning it onto the screen where you can't even see what pace you're going these are all great tips and then just focusing on, you know, there's mile markers on the course. Look look at them when you're there. That's how you know how much further you have to go. Um, finding people within the race to, you know, draft off of and compete with is, is also great. Um, what are some tricks that you have, Jason, that focus on being present instead of being wrapped up in your watch? And I know that you have a unique experience with this because for the first, you know, 15 years of your running career, you'd never ran with a Garmin. Uh, but then I think you did purchase a Garmin. You trained with it for a couple of years and you almost saw like a negative side effect with your training after a few years of utilizing this device. 
um, just based on, you know, comparing workouts and trying to hit certain paces. And what are some ways that you have kind of shifted that focus away from the Garmin again to kind of, you know, be more present in your race and environment? Yeah, I think, um, not paying attention to like trying to hit certain splits. So basically just going off of effort, um, focusing on, feeling strong later in the race, especially I like to really feel strong at about that 75% um, point in the race. So no matter the distance I'm doing, if I'm running a 5k, you know, around 2.5, I really want to feel strong. Like I can pick it up and run, you know, a massive negative split. So I'm constantly giving myself those mental reminders and I'm focusing on dismissing any negative thoughts. So like Victoria said, if you come through the mile and you're a little slow, um, if I see that, let's say I want to come through a 530 and I'm 536, you know, I'm a little slow. I may, dis, I may get the thought in my mind, but I'll immediately dismiss it and flip it into a positive and say, well, I should feel better later then because I conserve more energy. So I'm going to just have um, more energy to finish stronger. And so instead of thinking, oh, I need to make up these six seconds, um, just reminding yourself, you know what, you're fit, you'll make it up, don't worry about it. Just stay focused on this pace that you're in so you can maintain this until it's go time. So I'm constantly dismissing negative thoughts, flipping it into a positive and just waiting for the right time in that race. Usually it's around, you know, that 75 to 80% of the race. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear someone who is, you know, so fast saying that you have the same sort of negative thoughts. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I ran 536 instead of 530. That was my plan. And you, you have to dismiss those thoughts. Hard work to, you know, stay mentally in it and focus and positive no matter like what pace you're at. And I think you just have more like practice at it. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing it. It's experience that's been proven over time. Like I've, you know, I've had it both ways where I do maybe go a little faster than the race pace and then I don't even end up meeting the goal at the end. But the most success I've actually had is when I do go out a little slower than what I plan and I'm able to finish strong. And so I think it's just. It's trial and error, but through experience, um, you'll know what your approach and, and you know what you're most confident in. Definitely, that's great advice there. And just knowing that, you know, over years, you kind of develop these systems, but, you know, it can sometimes be like a painful ride to get there. Uh, lots of races and lots of experiences that we're sharing with you guys. So maybe you, you won't have to make as many of the same mistakes that we did. But, you know, a lot of a lot of the things we're saying is, oh, going off of effort, you know, ask my body how you feel. And people might say, oh, I don't understand what that means. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, this is something you have to practice every day. You know, this is you're doing your easy runs you're not looking at your watch you're asking yourself how do I feel and if you know the pace doesn't correlate to how you think you should feel at a certain pace that's fine I mean some easy days you might be going two minutes per mile slower than what you normally go on an easy day and that's totally fine and I think just learning how to let your body dictate certain things is a great tool and that's really what's going to help you um, reach that next level with your running Uh, same within workouts so let's say like your coach has a workout down for you Um, you're doing mile repeats at that eight minute pace again and you just you know the first one you you try to force it because you're feeling a little that first rep's always tough um, and let's say you try to force it and then you're, you're running a 750 and you know, it just, when you're not in tune with your body, you're so obsessed with what the watch is saying, your pacing is usually a lot worse because you get feedback from the watch, you surge and then you slow back down and then you surge again and then you're slowing back down. And that actually causes more energy and you're working different systems. Cause you're probably dipping into the anaerobic zone when you're doing that a couple of times, but it's actually harder to do that. So I think what would be better is thinking, all right, aim at a pace. I have an idea of what I think that pace should feel like. And what you should be doing in a workout is just going with what that is. And then maybe checking at like halfway through. Yeah. And if you're 15 seconds per mile off, instead of like getting down on yourself, I sometimes will just laugh because I'll say, wow, that's kind of funny. Like it's almost funny. And then I try to think like, what was I doing in the days leading up to this that caused my legs or my body to feel like I would be 15 seconds, you know, off per mile. And so then instead of like getting down on myself and, you know, hating on myself, I, I try to think of like what caused me to feel like this today and just assessing like different areas of your life. Like, you know, maybe I, I drank half a bottle of wine last night, or maybe I got six hours of sleep two days ago and it's catching up with me. Or maybe, you know, my nieces and nephews were sick and they were over yesterday. So maybe I'm catching a flu bug and just 
asking yourself maybe like the causation of this, and maybe there never really is a cause. Maybe it's just your body's just having an off day. But thinking more of like scientifically, like what was the cause of this? Instead of just like hating on yourself and being like, oh, I'm not in shape. Think of what the cause is. Because normally, like honestly, there is you can connect the dots when you look backwards and say, oh, I think it was, you know, maybe it was because I had a blizzard last night, you know, the day before my workout. Maybe it's not a great idea. And then you can be more in tune for your body. So like, let's say race day hits you. You're more able to better assess when, you know, paces are off a little how you know like kind of what you need to do to avoid that in the future um I think that's really great and that's something that can really transform your running instead of going out there kind of hating on yourself and saying oh oh I'm slow like never feel sorry for yourself like you're not the victim in your life you're not the victim of your running Uh, there's always reasons for why you're feeling what you're feeling and so when we kind of ignore that garment or use the garment as feedback data after the workout so let's say you have that workout you're supposed to go eight minute pace your reps are like 815 810 809 808 whatever assess that after you don't need that garbage when you're running you don't need that negative attitude you know (laughs) staring you in the face when you're running because all workouts are supposed to be you know pretty much effort based um to a certain extent you don't want to hammer it um and maybe later you look at the weather and you oh my gosh there were 25 mile per hour winds there's always usually like a reason why um workouts go a certain way so knowing that and then you know that can help you become a better racer because the biggest thing you want to do is practice how you race and that's super important um so what do you think about garments you know and how they've affected people's races um i know that you have a lot of experience coaching runners but also being married to a runner who is very uh garmin obsessed uh have there ever been like times where you have noticed someone being obsessed with their garment or having a negative impact them and what are some signs to like look out for or tendencies that people might have that they should break um i'm gonna answer that part of the question first um so i think when we do specific workouts and we nail certain times, a lot of times that can give us this amount of confidence that, you know, would apply to a race and we get excited. And so I think that just not reading too much into your workouts and the paces that you're hitting, those aren't always going to translate to the race, especially if you're doing them in prime conditions or, um, cause a lot of times, like you said, you just, you can't control some of the factors that are going to happen to you on race day. So it's not always going to translate. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's just going to depend on um, the person and the experience. And, and are you someone who's constantly thinking about the garment and the pace during the race? Or do you focus more on just being mentally present? Because I think that can help you um, get the results that you want. What was the other part of the question you asked, Victoria? No, I think that was a great tip. Reading too much into workouts, uh, that's definitely prime right there. Getting too, you know, just gun set on oh, I did this workout, this means this. Doing too much interpretation like that, not necessary. I think that's a really good tip. I think people fall into that trap a lot. They want to, you know, have like this core or causation, like A plus B equals C, like I will run this time because of that. We love formulas. I think just as humans, we want to be in control. We want to feel like we have a sense of control, but really um, we don't have total control over running. We're out there in the elements. You know, our bodies have a lot of stuff going on and we're not always going to be able to, have, you know, like our A day every single day. So just knowing that going into the race, um, ready to be mentally tough because you've put in all the training possible. You're in the best shape for this race and just being ready to fight when the going gets tough. Um, just being ready to play it smart and being safe. I think more on the tactical side of racing, you know, so we talked about not focusing too much on the garment, going more off of effort. Um, for a 5k, 10k, at what point point in the race I know you mentioned earlier 75% of the race you want to be feeling good at what point would you like start a kick or at what point is it okay to say all right I'm going to speed up here now and I'm just gonna see how fast I can go until the finish are there like two different types of kicks like one when you can see the finish and one when you're you know 800 meters out from the finish um, and how do you like assess like when the right time is? And sometimes like, do you not need to kick? What is a kick? Yeah, this is a really good question. And it'll depend on your experience, but also, um, you know, the type of runner that you are. Do you like to finish races strong? Do you see yourself? Do you have the confidence in your ability to kick? I think that's really key. Um, what I'll typically do is 
you know, once I get settled in after the mile is I'll tell myself, you know, let's say it is a 5k. I'll say, okay, just, just maintain this pace for another like eight to 10 minutes. And then it'll be go time. So the last few minutes I would start to probably about a half mile out from the finish is when I would start to really progress. Um, but it really depends on how I'm feeling. There's times where I'm like, I'm going to take a risk with a mile to go and I'll start really dropping the hammer. Um, Typically, if I've run a smart race in like a 10K, for example, I'll feel pretty good with a mile to go. So I can afford to take a little risk and go hard from a mile out. Um, but in the 5K, I definitely want to make sure uh, two to three minutes out from the finish, I'm really starting to pick up the pace, focus on my stride, making sure I'm feeling strong and I'm not tensing up. But then that final kick is really going to be in the last like minute to 40 seconds, really, as you see the finish. Um, and kind of based on if there's someone in front of you too in the race. So you know, you may start that kick sooner if there's someone that you're trying to close the gap on. So it really depends on kind of the race and who you're around. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think for me, you know, if there's not a lot of people around in that last 1K of the race, you know, five minutes-ish to go, um, if someone's coming up, they're going to try to pass me. I just say, you know, try to hang with them as long as you can if possible because I'd rather be around someone at the end than be alone. Um, you definitely don't want to be passed in that last mile. Um, so try to just be as tough as possible and, you know, give everything you got that last mile. It can be painful, uh, but it's, it's, it's fun. It's a fun, that's what you did. Uh, that's what you're doing the whole race for, you know, grinding it out at the end, seeing how fast you can go. Um, but I think just knowing that you can have races where you feel like you're getting a hundred percent out of yourself and it not be like a clock PR necessarily, just each course is different. And I think the biggest thing is just being competitive within that race and giving everything you got out there. Cause that's what this sport is all about. So do you have any last minute advice for anyone doing, you know, 5k, 10k races or pacing tips, anything last words? I mean, I just, I won't get too worried about your goal time. I would just go out there, um, you know, have fun, have a pacing plan that is aligned with your current fitness and your most recent training and just try to go out and execute and finish strong. Yep. That is great. And one last thing to note, if you've been doing marathon training, half marathon training, I think going out on this Turkey trot race and not, not having too high a hopes, you know, if you're, if you're on a recovery, you haven't ran for a while, it's important to just kind of gauge your goals use it maybe more as a tempo run not everyone needs to be a race you know you can if it's a turkey trot and you're going with your family feel free to do it easy you know maybe a tempo run you don't always need to race every race um today we kind of talked about tactical racing tips to really be competitive in the racing environment but it's important to note that you don't have to race every race. Um, doing tempo runs is an awesome alternative to that. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and learning a little bit more about the tactical side of racing and being competitive within the race. If you have any questions or you want to talk to Jason or myself or any of the other coaches directly, you can visit our website at www.run4 prs.co and you can fill out the form on our website and you can chat with us later that day.